What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the Dan Campbell Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, give the show five stars if you're digging it, and uh, that will help propel the podcast into the tops of the iTunes charts and will make it more visible for strangers to find on a national and international level. So much gratitude to the folks that have already taken that step in supporting the show, and I would appreciate the hell out of you if you have a few extra minutes to do so. Like I said, it's just an incredibly helpful thing to do and uh, is a direct contribution to uh, the sustainability of this thing and, and just gives more exposure for the folks that come on the podcast to, uh, to share their stories and their art. So uh, take the time, give the show some stars, a review, just a few words. It doesn't take a lot. And uh, yeah, man, just help grow the show. And uh, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you haven't quite done that, that's a, a great way to uh, to give back to this thing. You can also check out the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, which features uh, in-studio performances, live show performances, and and things of that nature. We've got some... Uh, some fresh videos are going to hit the feed soon, so also hit subscribe there. So then when those uh, those new videos are available, you'll get a notification that there are some fresh baked goods available on the YouTube channel for your viewing pleasure. So that's all that. Um, what else? What else we got? Keep up with me on uh, the old Instagram at Dan Cable Presents, and that's where I'm usually posting about shows. Speaking of shows... Lots of good stuff going on. Uh, we had another killer show at the library last week with Debbie Metal, Super Ocean, and Stoner Control. That was a crazy good bill. I never seen Debbie Metal before, and uh, that show really blew my mind. So I encourage you all to, to check out Debbie Metal. Check out Stoner Control, also a, a killer set. And uh, Super Ocean came on the, the podcast as Castles back when this thing first started and they uh that was their first show under their new moniker of super ocean and uh we're gonna be throwing an album release for them there at the uh the library deeper into april but another killer show there and um super stoked how things are coming together at the library so if you want to find out more information about booking and whatnot you can hit me up at dan cable presents at gmail.com but this coming weekend, February 8th and February 9th, we got a stacked out weekend of shows over there. Uh, the first night, February 8th, is a uh, hip-hop and rap show. We have Empress kicking off the night, Research and Development. My buddies uh, Dusty Fox and Rufus Small Towns will be uh, throwing down on the mics there. And then we got Mal London, who's been on the podcast before, 
and uh, he's going to be performing with the band Butter. So I'm really excited to see that. I haven't gotten to uh, to see him perform with that band yet. So really looking forward to that. And then the following night, we have the guest of this episode of the podcast, episode 147. I think that's where we're at. 147 sounds right. We got Hutch Harris playing at the library. It's going to be really rad. Hutch has uh, a few friends coming out to uh, to play some solo sets with him. So I think four singer songwriters on the bill. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really great and just a, an intimate space to see some folks sing some songs up there. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really excited to share this conversation, this episode with y'all, um, and I we will do so in just a, a few moments. I just want to point out one other thing as far as calendar dates before we dive into the episode. Um, former guest of the podcast, Andy Sado, good friend of mine, is uh, coming into town to play in Al's Den residency. Al's Den is here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, they do these really cool seven-night residencies. And uh, I had the, uh, the pleasure of curating this... Uh, this particular residency for Andy. So I was really stoked at the opportunity to do that, but he is going to be here on uh, February 10th through February 16th. These are all free shows. That's the best part about these Owl's Den residencies. They're re- it's a really cool space and all the shows are free. Each night it's from seven to 10. So Andy will probably be playing a couple sets and then he will have a guest every night. The first one being my friend Isabeau Wahoo Walker. I'm super stoked to have Isabeau on this. And then uh, uh, February 11th is uh, a surprise guest. We got Daryl on the bill. And then New Victorian, Haley Lynn, Laura May, Redwood Sun, and uh, my friends and Kiki and the Dowry are rounding it out on uh, February 16th. So check that out. Andy's here for a whole week. Cool opportunity to go check check him out as well as uh, some Portland locals. So I'm um, I'm stoked he is coming through town. So put that in your calendar as well, especially if you're looking for some free music to go see. Can't beat that over there at Al's Den. And that's it. That's the ramblings that I have for you on uh, this introduction to this episode. Uh, this is another crazy, cool experience for myself to get to sit down with Hutch Harris, who uh, was the singer and frontman for The Thermals, who are like a legendary band here in the Pacific Northwest and in the indie rock scene. And um, it was very cool to get to hang out with this dude, just kind of another another surreal moment that i got to just just hang out and talk to hutch about his uh his musical upbringing and uh we definitely talked some thermals i thought that was important to to touch upon and i appreciated his uh his willingness to do so definitely did not want the entire focus um to be around thermal stuff but you know it's a rich part of his history his and uh his, his musical roots, so we definitely, you know, you can't just skip over something like that, so I uh, 
I really appreciated getting to hear about some of the thermal stuff. And then we, we talked about his new record that he put out recently, which is called Only Water. And uh, just a killer record. We feature some, some tunes off of this thing. Um, if you're not familiar with the thermals and you're a punk rock fan, you're an indie rock fan, I would just really encourage you to, to kind of travel back through the catalog definitely check out the body the blood at the machine which is an incredible record and uh we touch upon a little bit of that album on uh on this episode but uh yeah it's just it's kind of insane because that record came out 13 years ago it came out in 2006 and uh the the themes on of it on on that particular record are, are very relevant to uh the current times which is pretty wild but they have uh they have some records to go through so i would definitely uh encourage you to check it out if you dig this conversation and you you dig the uh the solo stuff that that hutch has put out here but stoked to share this one with y'all and uh like i said just another another crazy moment for me to to get to hang out with uh, a dude that has had quite a musical journey and um i just appreciated the fuck out of uh out of this hang and and he was such a such a nice dude and uh and was just very very down to to do this chat so i was i was incredibly grateful for that we did this chat at the library and uh that's kind of become the space man that's become the the headquarters for Dan Cable presents. I've been recording some of these podcasts down there, which has been great. So, shout out to the gra- to uh, the library, which is at Growler's Tap Room. Very cool place to to grab some beers or cider. They've got kombucha on tap, which makes me really excited. And uh, they've got a couple couple food trucks right there too, which is rad. Um, such a cool place to hang, and I'm incredibly grateful for them for uh, kind of letting me take over that space and and curate the music that's happening there regularly which is really cool so it was, it was awesome to introduce hutch to the space and he seemed stoked about it which is uh you know validating when the dude from the thermals is is into the place that he's going to be uh playing there on february 9th come check it out it's going to be rad um don't forget the capacity there is 50 people. So if you want to come to these shows, make sure you get there early so that you get there before there is no more room. All right? You got it? I'm going to put all the episode notes. Why do I always do this? I'm going to put all of the links in the episode notes so you can keep up with Hutch and uh, all the things going on at the library and whatnot. Check out the Thermals records. Check out Hutch's new record, Only Water. We got episode 147. Hutch Harris is on the podcast, and we're kicking it off with the first track from his only water record, and it is called I'm Ready to Leave. Let's do it. I'm ready to leave if you are. I'm ready to go away and never come back. Tomorrow feels like too far.
without you So here we go chatted up with me yeah thanks for having me super stoked to uh talk to you about your new record only water that you put out recently right and uh maybe dive into some some thermals action cool. a little bit and, cool but uh i thought we'd kind of just take it back and, and start from the beginning okay and uh yeah when did you start playing music man i was probably well i started playing guitar when i was 15 okay uh, my dad's a piano player and he tried to teach me piano when i was a kid when i was like six or seven but i wasn't having it and uh, I didn't get into it. I, I tried to play saxophone when I was like, uh, probably when I was like 10 or 11. And that didn't take either. And then I got a guitar when I was, I think I was 15. So I started then. Yeah. What was it uh, What was it about the guitar that, that you kind of took to you opposed to the instruments that you had tried to play before that? I was uh, like, Nevermind came out when I was 15. Okay. And so... I had actually, I had been trying to play guitar for a li- maybe like six months or so before Nevermind came out, but everything I was trying to play was like Led Zeppelin or Guns N' Roses. It was all stuff that was a lot more complicated. It's not like super hard, but compared to Nirvana, like once once Nirvana came out, like these were all songs, like everyone at my high school, anyone who played guitar was playing those songs. Because you could, if you just knew like bar chords, you could play those songs. Right. So I feel like that record was a really good, uh, it was inspiring for so many people, you know, my age at that time, just because it was so accessible because you could actually play those songs. Absolutely. Um, and your your dad being a musician, was he kind of the one that, that exposed you to a lot of music or, or were you kind of geared towards more stuff that was completely outside of his realm of what he was doing he exposed me to a lot of stuff but he didn't like rock that much like he liked the beatles but the beatles were probably like the only rock band that he listened to besides that he listened to old like old jazz stuff like old tin pan alley stuff or like show tunes he loved uh he loved like shows and jazz but not rock but yeah, but he was always supportive whenever I wanted to play music. So he got me a guitar. Oh, right on. Yeah. So it was a pretty, pretty supportive environment. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, did you start writing your your own songs pretty quickly after you got the guitar and kind of were geeking out on the Nirvana stuff? And yeah, I did what I think a lot of people do, which is when you're starting out, you're trying to learn other people's songs, but you get stuck at some point, and from there on, you just start writing. Uh, or I don't know if that's common, but that's what that's what I did. I remember I don't know if you know Allison Chains had this EP called Sap which has like Chris Cornell on it and it has uh, one of the girls from Heart sings on it. So it's kind of like this all-star just like EP that they did, but it's mostly acoustic. And I remember like I was trying to learn some of those songs, but I just got stuck. But I kind of learned some chords. Uh, you know, I was learning like some minor chords and whatnot from from that record. And then I just kind of just started writing songs like really quickly. Like I'm still not that great at figuring out other people's songs. Um, but uh, yeah, once I started writing, I just liked that so much that, um, you know, I was more interested in writing a crappy song than learning someone else's good song. Yeah. Do you feel like every time you were maybe like trying to learn somebody else's song, it kind of just came out through your filter instead of sounding like the song? Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I hope it wouldn't just sound like a total ripoff of whatever song <laughs> I was trying to learn. Um, yeah, I feel like any, even to like to this day, anytime I'm trying to learn someone else's song, I can get through like two thirds of it, and there will just always just be one part that I just get stuck on and, and can't uh, and can't figure out. Uh, but of course, the internet's gotten a lot better at like just giving us the chords and lyrics for songs. Um, but yeah, yeah, I uh, I've just always enjoyed writing more than playing other people's stuff yeah and when you were when you were writing those early songs and and learning your way around the instrument were you was there aspirations when you're growing up to like be a career musician or be in this industry at all or did that kind of just unfold the way it did uh i mean there was yeah I, I didn't i don't think i thought about it as like an industry but i knew i wanted to play in a band uh and be good at it and I, I i don't know if i thought about like i'm gonna be a musician for my whole life but at that age like in high school definitely like the most important thing was to be in a band yeah do you feel like your dad being a musician at all like made that somehow like a tangible thing for you or that you saw other people did do this for a living well but he had struggled really hard like he had done like uh, the first 10 years of my life, we lived in New York and he was doing um, like industrial shows or like off Broadway, like really small musicals. Um, and then for work, he was uh, he would accompany uh, people who were doing auditions for musicals. So they would like singers would come to the house and they would uh, like practice with him and then he would go with them to their audition and play piano. But that, you know, so he had, like, kind of all these different jobs in music, but he didn't have, like, one job that was really paying all the bills. And eventually he just went back. He went to grad school uh, and got an engineering degree, uh, which is how we, why we moved to California. Um, so eventually, like, he still kept playing music, but eventually he got out of it being his career. So I never, I always saw music in kind of a more realistic way in that it's really difficult to to have a career in it. For but sure. also at the same time, I kind of felt like I had a leg up uh, just because I had been raised by him and just because there was always music in the house. And lots of different kind of people coming through the house yeah, and, and for being sure. introduced kind of to these 
these artistic people that that he was working with and whatnot. Right. Right. For sure. Um, yeah, I would imagine that that's. I don't know. Not everybody grows up in an environment where parents are super supportive of, of traveling down that road. So right, for sure. It's cool that it's cool that your your dad and uh, was just be since he did kind of know the struggles of of like being a blue collar musician or someone in that world. I right. Guess. Yeah, I mean, I think he. Uh, yeah, I mean, he knew more than anyone how difficult it was. Um, but he still, I mean, he loves music so much. I mean, he still does. Um, but I don't think he w- was ever, like, planning for me to have a career doing <laughs> it. <laughs> so when, when, uh, when does it become a thing where, where you're starting to play in bands or writing music where you're performing it out a little bit? It was pretty soon. It was probably within the first year or so of playing uh I had a band called Zephaniah with some dudes that I knew in high school. And we, I think we just played one show. We played like at the school <laughs> in the quad at lunchtime. Uh, so that, there were like a few bands like that, but really uh, it was like uh, right after high school. There was, uh, we, I was living in San Jose and there was this uh, a group called the Sunnyvale Music Club and Sunnyvale's right by San Jose, and this was just, like, a group of, like, kids, punks from, like, the suburbs and downtown. Uh, it was, like, the rough punks and then kind of, like, the more emo, like, house show punks uh, from, like, you know, from the suburbs where I was from. Um, but they would kind of all come together, and it was this club just for uh, just for booking shows, just for just DIY bands on tour. Um and once I got to the, like right, probably like the summer after I graduated from high school, uh, just through other kids that I knew, uh, I kind of like met this whole scene of uh, people just putting on shows in like library basements, nice to Columbus halls, uh, houses, wherever. And uh, and so that was when I started like really playing out all the time because there were just all these opportunities to play all the time because there were tons of bands coming through on tour. Yeah, and it was all kind of like in that that punk rock world it was like punk it was like emo like not what emo became but kind of like the old uh you know like the pre eyeliner emo uh bands like indian summer current uh like bands that when i actually think of emo bands that sound like rites of spring or or you know bands like that like old kind of like post hardcore emo yeah it was that there was a lot of pop punk because it was the south bay so like you had you know we're in san jose we're like 40 minutes from berkeley oakland san francisco um, so like the lookout scene was huge. Green Day, yeah, Operation uh, Ivy, yeah, Operation Ivy, Rancid, like that whole scene. So definitely have a lot of bands uh, that sound like those bands. Do you like your up going to shows at Gilman? I went to a couple shows. It's funny because I saw Bikini Kill. Uh, you know, they just announced a couple shows today. They're doing some reunion shows. And I actually did see Bikini Kill at Gilman, uh, but then they also played the Nice of Columbus Hall in Cupertino. Uh, I saw Propagandi at Gilman Street, and I saw Rancid uh, there one time, which was weird because you know they were they were like heroes of that scene, but also they were kind of in the process of everyone starting to hate them because they were getting too big and too commercial. Oh, uh, that fine line, <laughs> right? Even on their first record, this is before like Ruby Soho or like you know this is before the major hits. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I I, yeah. I love that. I'll oh yeah, yeah, no, record, me too. Like, I, yeah, yeah, no, I love that stuff. And that I Operation Ivy record is yeah, 
amazing absolutely but, but yeah, yeah. I just, I, i've never been to a show at gilman but I, I just know that's kind of a legendary venue there and right. like i know every once in a while like green day will kind of do a cool show there just to like pay yeah. tribute to those days and stuff like that right it's crazy that it's, it's still going too i think yeah um yeah i grew up in southern california and we also kind of had that that prominent like pop punk and right hardcore and and what all that stuff was going on you in so I grew up in Corona. Did you guys ever play like the Showcase Theater? Or no? Okay. Where is that near? Corona is like forty miles outside of LA. It's Inland Empire. Okay. Yeah. It's Riverside County. Okay. Um, but we had the Showcase Theater, and that was kind of like that was the only thing that was cool <laughs> about about right. our city. Right. And that's where like all of the big touring punk bands, like independent or even more mainstream, would play right that spot so it was kind of big yeah like it was a really well-known venue and i mean yeah like the bands would play there like like dead kennedys would play there right right or even like the early days of like no doubt and blink 182 like offspring all those bands since they were 20 minutes from there like that those were that was the club that they played right like just always see like crazy amount of good bands coming out of there and that was yeah, definitely like the the place where I was introduced to the circle pit and whatnot. It's crazy that you could see no doubt like on that first record when no one knew who they were and they were kind of just like this skate punk band. Like, it's insane like where they went, like how huge. It would have been hard to guess that they would have become so huge. Yeah, it was kind of mind blowing to me. I think even though I was I was very young at that time, I was probably eight or nine when maybe ten when like Tragic Kingdom came out. Mm-hmm. But all of those like Orange County bands were very like in location wise was very close to me. And it was just right. weird to see this entire scene blow up because it was like it was no doubt and offspring. Right. Like, right. And sublime. And like they're all like oh, within yeah, like yeah. a 20 minute radius from right. one, one another. So it was, that was kind of wild. Yeah. It was crazy because offspring rancid. We're both on Epitaph. I forget. I mean, then even like Bad Religion, even yeah. though they were almost like twenty years old at that at that at that time, or maybe like fifteen years old. All of a sudden, you start seeing these bands having like singles on the radio, like on mainstream rock radio, and like, yeah, like the Offspring going platinum, you know, or something. Yeah. millions of records. Yeah, it's insane. Especially after, yeah, I mean, their their first couple records are like very like punk rock and raw and and like pretty heavy and right and even smash was that way it just had like some commercial success right like they just got got some some records i know it, it's pretty cool yeah i think that record holds up really well i went back to it i don't know like six months ago or something i think it's it still sounds really same good. dude i listened yeah. to it recently i was yeah. i was back home for for christmas and i was just kind of like cruising the old streets and i was like i don't know something about that that nostalgia makes me kind of put on those records right you know? just like listening to that and like Blink 182's Dude Ranch and like just right. cruising, cruising the old. It's hood. cool how like unpolished those records are too, especially compared to what, like everything that you know, not even stuff like Limp Bizkit or whatever stuff that was on the radio just like five or so years later. It was so very like digital and everything is kind of like uh, I don't know. Everything is like cleaned up really well. And yeah, those, like his vocals on Smash are like he doubles them a lot but they're not like perfect at all they're very it's pretty raw yeah all that energy is definitely there yeah i like that um so when do you start writing music that uh, like eventually becomes thermals catalog um so kathy and i moved to portland in 98 we were still doing we were you know we had a band called hutch and kathy and it was very 
kind of folky, uh, you know, acoustic guitars, and there was some drums, but it was it was still pretty folky. Um, and then in like early 2002 is when I just started writing songs on a four track and playing all the instruments, and that was that like those recordings were was what became the first Thermals record. So we like I, I recorded like 13 or 14 songs. Um, just started like copying CDs and giving them to people. We played a couple shows. Like we started the band in like summer of 2002, and then um, the first Thermals record came out like spring of 2003. And what what brought you both up to Portland? So we knew people. We had to get out of San Jose because it just there just wasn't an, it wasn't enough happening musically and we couldn't afford to move to san francisco and this is like 20 years ago so even then like i can't imagine now (laughs) even then it was so expensive (laughs) it was just too expensive kathy had just gone to fashion design school in san francisco and she really wanted to move there but there was just no way we just couldn't afford it um we knew people already that lived in portland because even then people moving from california to portland was already a thing that you just did and it was so cheap so the first the first house that we all lived in, it was like me and Kathy and then Jordan, who was the first Thermals drummer. We had a house for three fifty, or uh, uh, sorry, it was probably six fifty. I think six fifty for the three of us. But so our rent, you know, your rent is like two hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> and then you know, and we had a full basement to where we were uh, practiced and recorded. And um, so yeah, it's just like we knew. Portland was cheap, and we knew that even then the music scene was really cool and really accessible at that time. Yeah, what was it like then? Uh, Elliot Smith was here, but he was just about to move, or maybe he had just moved away. But there was like a lot of that old scene, like Junior High, Sean Krogan. Um, there was the club 17 Nautical Miles that was on Woodstock, which was kind of near where we lived, um, where there was shows like just about every night. Um, lots of house shows going on at yeah, that time. Yeah, lots of house shows. Lots of house shows with you know where the house had a name like the Hellgate House on Holgate or the Powerhouse in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, there was EJ's. I don't know if you remember EJ's on Sandy, and then the old Burbotties. There was a lot of. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's still like a ton of places to play, but it was uh, it was cool because the scene here was cool, and but it was still like a little like under the radar. Yeah. So accessible for somebody coming in from yeah. outside, too. Yeah, for sure. And just cheap so that you could work. You only had to work like 20 hours a week uh, to pay your rent and pay your bills, and then it just leaves you all the time to you know work on your art. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast that you did a couple of years ago with, with Allison Rosen. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I didn't get too deep into it because I didn't want it to inform our conversation right. so much. Right, But you... Uh, you mentioned in that, and I don't know if you feel the same. A couple of years later, do you, um, you you talked about kind of maybe always having this feeling of moving back to California sometime, and and feeling like that was a that you is that what I was to, telling yeah, Allison? Yeah, you, you, yeah. You said, and I I totally related to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you were just talking about that that you thought maybe you would end up there again. I don't. One day. I don't know if I feel that. Well, yeah, it's it's in the back of my head. I think I was actually. I I spent like a couple years of like kind of half not half living in LA, but I would go there for, you know, extended periods of time. And I was dating someone there. Um, and I really like, I mean, I love California. I love LA too. I've never really lived there. Um, 
you know, my parents are still in San Jose, and San Jose, like culturally and musically, there's not a lot there, but it's beautiful and the weather's nice. And it's an I like to just like when I go visit my parents, it's a nice place to just chill out and kind of hide out. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, Southern and Northern California, it's, you know, a lot of it is really just like it's too expensive I feel to live there. But yeah, but it is nice. Yeah. yeah. But I love Portland, and lately I've been, like, especially loving Portland again. So I don't I don't see myself really going anywhere. Yeah. No, I, I connect to that heavy just because I, uh, this has been such a, like, a huge experience to, to move up here and be completely in like this different environment right for the last six years and and there was definitely like a time where i was just like i don't know maybe i'm like maybe i'm ready for that california right life again and uh and then i spent like a, a whole week there uh-huh. and uh that that cured me of really that. yeah, yeah wait, i don't how know come? yeah i don't know it was just like when i go for like a couple days i'm just like oh man maybe i do want to be back here but then just being back there for like an entire week it was just like no, I, I actually really love the place where I'm at right, right now, and it's right. it is nice having a little less population and, yeah, and not so many yeah. people. And right. and this city is like so accessible to go do things. Right, and and we get like we have everything here for the most yeah. part. You know, like I mean, all these bands are rolling through the big cities too, of like L.A. and the Bay Area too. But it's uh. It just never seemed as easy to go to a show in any other city. But oh, yeah. One, you know? No, everything is easy here still. And even, you know, people are like to complain a lot lately about Portland just getting overrun by transplants or being too crowded. But still, compared to other major cities, it's just so easy to do almost anything here. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, just that last trip just kind of made me made me fall in love again. When right. I came back, I was just like, oh, I'm so, so pumped to be here. Right. <laughs> is Costa Mesa, is that... Inland Empire, uh, yeah. Like I mean, of? it's uh, yeah. that that's a little more like towards the beach, but that's only like right. tw- that's like 20 minutes from where I grew up, so that's, oh, okay. that's okay. still like yeah, there's a right place there. that we, I can't remember the name of it, but we would play we played there probably like three or four times. Uh, Kathy and I played there a couple years ago, and Thermals had played there, but I, I yeah, I can't remember. It was like in a strip mall, it was pretty cool. <laughs> there's but, a lot of yeah. those, uh, yeah. Well, as you know, like growing up in San Jose, like right. a lot of the venues do end up being in these, like, I know strip it's kind of cool. There'll be just like a Mexican <laughs> restaurant next door, like a donut shop, and then there's your venue, like venue. in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think it's cool. Um, so once you, you put out the, the first Thermals record, did uh-huh. you, was there kind of a buzz around the band? Yeah, right yeah. Away? I feel like, yeah, I feel like it was. Like Sub Pop, the first three records on Sub Pop, the, yeah. it, it was like uh, Sub Pop w- was kind of still like in the dark, you know, crevasse or whatever that they had kind of fallen back into like after the, uh, you know, after like the huge, after the grunge years, like they had put out the Shins record and the Shins had just moved here when our record came out. So like late 2002 or James had moved here yeah. and that record started doing really well. And then the, there was a postal service record, which is how, you know, we gave our demo to Ben Gibbard and while he was working on the postal service record with sub pop. So he gave sub pop the thermals CD. And so that's how we ended up on sub pop. Um, but yeah, so then you see, you know, when we signed to Sub Pop, there were like no other besides the Shins, and the Shins weren't really a Portland band. There was no other Portland bands that are, had been on Sub Pop for like a super long time, like not since the '90s when like Sprinkler and uh, and like Pond were on were on the label. Um, so it was like super exciting, and we just yeah. exciting anyway because it's Sub Pop. And then um, 
really quickly, then Sub Pop just started doing really, really well. And not because of us, but just because of like all the records that they put out in the next, you know, in the few years after that. Um, yeah, so we got to see like Sub Pop grow. You know, at the when we, they were back like in kind of like a smaller office in Seattle uh, when we signed. And then like a couple years later, they're, they're where they are now, which is the whole floor of this massive building in seattle which is pretty awesome yeah um so where was so those were your peers at that time like ben gibbard and yeah yeah ben had been spending a lot of time in portland i i forget why um this is before like right before transatlanticism came out so i think probably the photo album had come out so death cab is like doing really well but not doing as like insanely not well like mainstream is, yeah. right and before they were like a character like on the oc yeah before that before they signed <laughs> to a major label but they were still like really big um and then you know of course that postal service blew up uh that record blew up yeah so yeah the shins um the shins we would see a lot and do a lot of shows with um, I'm trying to think who else, like Iron and Wine signed to Sub Pop that same year, and then he started doing really well. Um, and then eventually Band of Horses. There was this band called the Catheters that were from Seattle. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a rad time. It was just great for us because that was, you know, something I'd always wanted to do was get signed to a good label. So there it was. Yeah, and Sub Pop. Yeah, and couldn't wish for anything better. Yeah, the first uh, Thermals Jam I ever heard was How We Know. Oh, cool. And that cool. was on a Sub Pop compilation. Oh, right, right, right. And that was like, that was my entry point to the, right. to the Thermals. Right, it's probably like a sampler of some kind. Yeah, it's right. a, it's a very killer. I actually right. like, have that in my car. That's yeah, like, yeah, that's like my backup CD for like cool. if my phone dies or like cool, cool, you know cool. like if yeah, I can't, yeah. It's just like I'm gonna put this on this. Right. This is awesome. It's like you got it's it's you know it's all those people you were mentioning. It's, that's right. That's good because my uh, emergency CD is Bleach. Actually, nice. Dude. Yeah, yeah. You gotta. Have, it's so funny. That is the thing these days. You gotta have an emergency CD in case yeah. like your Bluetooth doesn't work. At whatever. least a couple. Um, yeah, yeah. You got to have some recess in your life every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, is it uh, kind of looking back on it? Is it is it wild to you the impact that the thermals have had on the indie rock scene, specifically maybe in the Pacific Northwest? And, and to hear, I don't know, I know you, you recently or are still working with the Autonomics on, on their new yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Those are those are dudes that were like heavily inspired by the thermals. I know that they were right. incredibly excited to work with you. Yeah, and we met them. Um, it's probably like nine or ten years ago when they were still living in Bend, and we went to play Bend, and they must have been like seventeen or eighteen because they're still young now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and we kind of kept in touch, and I remember like seeing them when they moved here, and then they've just been plugging away, and they're so good. Yeah, they're one they're of my favorite so, bands in town. They're so good, and it's been so cool to see them grow and really just like keep at it, like really hard, and not just on the business side, but really like on the songwriting side. Because they, yeah, we've tracked. Uh, I think we did four songs, and then we're gonna go do like another four or so or or whatever in like a month or two. Um, but yeah, it's so good. It's one of the best things we've done at the studio. I think it's one of oh, my yeah. favorite things. And it's just they came in, uh, they came in so tight. Like sometimes we'll work with bands, and 
they're good, but maybe they just haven't. I'm always just telling bands, you just got to keep rehearsing, especially just just before you get in the studio. The the better rehearsed you are, the quicker it'll go, and you're just going to save money. Like I'm just Yeah, you don't want to waste time. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to get in and out as fast as you can so you don't spend a ton of money on a record that's the amateur move we like right. so many people have, have done it including myself you Yo, know? Me and i'm too, sure me you too. have yeah as oh, well yeah. as like you you have that for those first couple studio performances and realize how much money and time you're wasting on right. takes after take because right. because you thought you thought your shit was tight but right. you're like oh no <laughs> it's or if it's just a little unfinished, like, oh, okay, I'm just like halfway done with lyrics for this song, but that's okay. I'll finish them in the studio. And we all say that. And then like you could be sitting writing lyrics for like an hour or two and you like you could possibly spend a couple hundred dollars just to sit and write lyrics in the studio and you can do that at home for free. So anyway, so they they came in and they were just like super ready and I was so uh yeah, it was just great to see because they were they just sounded really good and they were super tight. Absolutely. Yeah. Super fun dudes too. Yeah. 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 Great dudes to hang out with. But what what is it what is it like for you to to hear someone like that band or or another other other bands coming up saying like, Oh, the thermals were a huge influence or made a huge impact on on my songwriting. Is that just yeah, a I think trip it's for great. You? Yeah. I mean it it is weird. I don't think about it that much when it's nice when people tell me that because I don't like what more could you want? than to have that kind of effect you know you want to affect people the way you've been affected by you know any artist that you loved growing up so yeah it's like very uh very thankful for that yeah and uh i don't know do you ever do you ever cruise back through the thermals catalog and like check out like go through and listen my body um, i had to go back to the first record to you know the the first record is on a four-track cassette. It's just cassettes I have sitting in my in my studio. So I uh, there was a request from Sub Pop for some instrumental versions because you know it's such a common thing now when you're in the studio, you uh, you make instrumental mixes in case someone who wants to license a song for a TV show or whatever, and they want a spot. You know they want some in they want like an instrumental version, but back then we just didn't do that. So I had to actually go back and like dump all these mixes back you know i just ran a, <laughs> i just p- pulled out the four track and just ran all these cassette mixes back to uh back to pro tools and just did and, you know it's not hard it's just three tracks it's just drums guitar and bass um but yeah but i hadn't listened to that in a long time i don't i gotta be in the right mood to listen to it because a lot of times all i'll i'll just hear stuff that i wish i had done differently um but I, I checked in the last record we did only came out like like three years ago, right? And uh, I forget why I was just checking in to kind of hear like sonically, like you know we worked with Chris Walla, Chris Walla produced it, and he did like most of our records. He did three, he mixed the first one, then he did three others, and then I just kind of wanted to see. You know, I was just listening to hear what tricks he had done, and it like it sounds amazing. Yeah. And so I was like really so that time was cool because I wasn't really listening to the songs. I wasn't really listening to what I had done. I was just kind of trying to listen to see what Chris had done just as far as like how you mix a record well. For sure. Yeah. I don't know, man. For me, it's a little while to, you know, I've been doing kind of this deep dive on on the Thermals catalog just to prepare for this oh, conversation cool. a little bit along with your new solo record. Uh-huh. But listening to the body, the blood, the machine, and just kind of seeing how relevant 
that record is to, right. to today. Right. Is that trip you out? Like how, because that's like a pretty like politically charged yeah, record. Yeah. And, and there's so much of it. Like so many of those themes are like very relevant to what's yeah, going on right now. Is no, that, is that uh, a trip to you <laughs> that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not cool that it's happening. <laughs> yeah, still. It's not great. The, the situation that we find ourselves in. Cause for us, it was just, we were dealing with the Bush administration and back then, it was like, geez, how much worse could things get? So the record's kind of like a fantasy on, well, how, you know, we, we thought, well, this has to be the worst administration that we've ever seen. And at that time, we thought it was. And now people look fondly back <laughs> right? on with George Bush, like he was a good guy, like it's insane. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't, uh, I mean, we weren't trying to predict the future. We was, it was seriously just supposed to be this ridiculous fantasy um, that now sounds truer than it used to. Yeah, you remember like all those Rock Against Bush uh, compilations that yeah, came out during yeah, that time. Yeah, did you guys ever get on any of those? No, we we didn't do that many compilations. And honestly, even though we did that record, we were trying really hard to not be known as a political band because. After that record, people just were like, this is a political band, and it's such like a corner to get stuck in. And so everything we did after that record was trying to... It's not that we were apolitical. We just didn't want to be... Just didn't want us to be like a political band. Yeah, you don't want to be put in that box. Yeah, you feel like that kind of just like eliminates a percentage of a fan base too, to a certain well, that, degree. That part doesn't bother me. It's just like I want. There's something unfun about it. Like <laughs> I don't want. You don't to, want to be the protest band. <laughs> well, I don't. I I think like one record, one political record, or a couple is good, but if. It doesn't sound like, uh, you know, I would like to make records that also you could put on like at a party or something or that you could just like kind of like get drunk and like thrash to. For sure. I don't want like it to have to be a lesson or a chore (laughs) every time. Like I love Dead Kennedys, but it's not always fun to listen. And and sometimes it's like it puts a bad taste in my mouth. And it doesn't mean I think they're bad. Like they're so, so good. But it's like you really – the same with Propagandi. Like it's a – it's a task sometimes to have to absorb it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think even you'd say like the same for like a Rage Against the Machine. Like where, right. the, where the whole thing, right. like it's in the name. <laughs> Although, yeah. I mean, but like Bulls on Parade, like that song crushes oh, every dude, time. Yeah. And I, don't, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a little more party or fired up friendly. Yeah, it's yeah, not quite totally. like the Jello Biafra going off on his monologues in right. the middle of, of songs for 10 minutes. I think Rage does a really good job. That's a good reference of a band that's very political, but it's really fun at the same time. Like you feel there's something really uplifting about just his lyrics and just the vibe. Yeah, the vibe of the whole band. Yeah, and it definitely seemed like it was like the whole band on board too. It wasn't like just Zach De La Rocha because obviously like, Tom Morello has kind of like gone on to continue that with for sure with rage and like it's still very like politically charged but but he does like find a, a like a fun spin on it almost like to bring in all these other artists or like just try right. very different things it's a little I don't know yeah it doesn't feel as uh as heavy-handed as some of that that dead Kennedy stuff right. or yeah right. like I was recently have you ever listened to the the record that Jello Biafra did with DOA 
is he just doing spoken word? No, it's oh. a it's like a really great record, oh, okay. but like it, but there is like a lot of those like rants right. that happen through, and it's just like yeah, yeah, this is heavy. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't seriously. for uh, this isn't a dinner time record. Yeah, yeah, I'm not having fun right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, well, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Okay. I appreciate you kind of diving into the thermal stuff. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know if that's something you enjoy talking about at this point or yeah, if it's no, like stuff, you, it. stuff you're always having to talk about when you're doing these types I of things. I haven't had to for a while, so I'm, I'm super So I definitely, it. like, I don't know. I feel like it's it's obviously a rich part of your history. So I feel Yeah, like and I'm really pr- I'm like proud of almost everything we did. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I like to talk about <laughs> that's it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, let's jump into uh, a track off the new record cool. off your new solo record and uh this is my favorite track off the record oh, cool. and it's called i will try to forget you awesome let's get into it i'm sorry i was cold i was lost in myself i'm sorry for the hope i gave you that i could be somebody else you're out of my life you're still in my head I will try to forget I'm sorry I was cold It's just who I am Where I had a heart There is only a hole to forget I will try to forget I felt this way Try not to even breathe your name Try not to make the mistakes I made with you I will try to forget I felt this way Try not to even breathe your name Try not to make the mistakes I made with you release a solo record even during the thermals years or was was that just kind of a out of necessity after the the thermals decided to close up shop for a bit it like over the course of the thermals uh career i would like often like write songs that just obviously weren't gonna fit 
with the thermals. And eventually that was one of the reasons that made me want to stop doing the band because I felt that we had kind of created this world where it's just, it didn't leave room for a lot of the other things I wanted to do, which was fine. Like I always liked a band. I wanted the thermals to be like green day or ACDC. Like these bands were like, you know what you're going to get. And it's pretty much going to be this one thing and you pick one thing and you do it well. Um, and so then, yeah, a couple years after the thermals, or really, actually, it was it was only just like the year because what it's only we only broke up like a year and a half ago or something. Um, yeah, I just found myself that I had a bunch of songs, um, kind of accumulating, just like songs or parts of songs that I really liked and I wanted to use, and they were all just like a kind of like a really chill vibe that I hadn't done in the thermals, and so I just decided that I wanted to make a record um, that was just like as far as just as different from a thermals record as i could so just like no distortion no symbols just something something just really quiet and laid back yeah um did you do you feel like there's a there's a difference even in in the uh like the mentality you have when you're writing these tunes opposed to the mentality you had writing thermal songs just because you did feel like you wanted them to be a different thing like i think there is but then i play the record for a friend of mine and he's just like it just sounds like the thermal <laughs> which is fine because i mean you me. are the singer yeah, i can't so that's fair this is how i write songs i'm, I'm always going to kind of there are certain progressions and chords that i just like and i will use and i just like yeah that sound good to my ear um i think like again the thermals had like a tendency to always get caught up in like really heavy subjects. Like there's a lot of death or, or politics or just like, I mean, mostly death. So I was trying to just sing simpler songs, um, love songs, just songs that weren't um, just so loaded or just so weighed down. Yeah. I think that's what I notice, like where the difference lies. Um, a big, a big difference I think is, one the intensity that mm-hmm. you're kind of like talking about like this is definitely a more laid back vibe right and um but aside from that it seems to me like from with the lyrics and everything it seems to be like a little more like introspective and kind of self-reflective upon relationships and right. and dealing with those things is right. that fair to say yeah and i had like gone through a breakup like as i was starting to work on it and i have this thing where like when when a relationship ends i have a tendency to reflect on like every other failed relationship i ever had i feel that so you kind of (laughs) feel like the weight of not just this relationship ending but all previous relationships um which was like heavy and not fun to go through but it was kind of inspiring because then I felt like I could write this record not just about the relationship I'd just been in, but kind of just like every, you know, kind of just be inspired by all the past failures of uh, relationships I had been in. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's why I connect to it so heavy, you know, because right. like I have had those moments where like my foundation is completely like broken and flipped upside down and you kind of like it's it just triggers a bunch of things. It's not just right. that one, one thing. And right. I don't know. I think, I think you just did like such a rad job with, no, thanks, like, man. I will try and forget you and, uh, no river left uh-huh. and songs like that. And, um, 
like I will try and forget you. I feel like has this cool like emo, not a surf vibe. To oh, it. cool. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Which I really dig. And yeah, I don't know. It's just cool, man. Because like I feel like it's it's pretty vulnerable on your side. It's uh, it's definitely seems like the focal point of is like dealing with moving on, moving forward from like this relationship that was right. was a focal point and and just trying to figure out, you know, that whole mind fuck of of what's next and how to move forward and and all the things that go along with that. Right. It has I didn't think about it being vulnerable when I was writing the songs or recording them. It was only when I started playing shows with these songs and then I was like, oh, like not really ready to like look people in the eye when I'm singing these. I was like I just hadn't thought about that I usually don't sing songs that are quite like this and are and I'm usually not vulnerable like that on stage so i'm kind of getting used to that now yeah are you playing like a majority of the shows you are playing are you playing these solo acoustic for the most part yeah yeah almost all the songs on the record so do you think that also adds to that vulnerability or just kind of like strips away some of the the other musical parts to just leave these raw lyrics and but i like i i mean it it makes me nervous but I do like playing solo. Like for so many years, I didn't like playing alone. I didn't like playing acoustic guitar. And then I just decided, you know, last year I was like, okay, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to start playing shows alone, but I'm not going to like it. I'm just going to do it. But then as soon as I started doing it, I just actually really enjoyed it. So now I'm like really into playing solo. I just kind of had to force myself to do it. Yeah, what do you what do you dig about that experience opposed to playing with a band? It's nice to just not. Uh, well, it's nice to not load in like a thousand <laughs> pounds of gear. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine. Yeah, a four a four bill singer songwriter yeah. bill is uh, a much easier load in time. <laughs> it's it's Best. it's a half an hour before the show starts yeah. instead of three hours. Yeah. <laughs> you just pick up your guitar and walk out when you're done. Um, yeah, just the intimacy is really nice. Uh, just like to. Yeah, to not uh, to not have to be like shouting over a bunch of noise uh, every night. It's just uh, yeah, it's just you know how I started liking playing solo was I just realized I had to have no expectation about it because I think when I did it in the past, I was always thinking I was going to sit down with the acoustic guitar and just like blow people's minds, and they were just going to be. Uh, they were just going to be so blown away by my lyrics or whatever, <laughs> all these songs they'd never even heard. And then you sit there and play and people just kind of stare at you. And it doesn't, like it definitely, It's you have to get the, you have to, it's not impactful in the same way that like a loud band is because you just don't have that volume, uh, you know, to, to assault people with. Um, and you can hear everything in the room right, going around you. Right, right. Yeah, I played one show recently and there was this couple like breaking up like <laughs> near like in this like at a table like right near the front and Dude. i wish i would have stopped him and i, w- I wish i would have just told him to go break up somewhere else that's so amazing uh i don't know if you're still doing it but i know you were you were dabbling in some comedy for yeah, a while yeah yeah do you still do that no? no but i feel like doing it made me uh made it easier to play like music solo for sure definitely well, the reason i brought that up i was at i was at helium a couple weeks ago uh-huh, uh-huh. and a couple was having like a breakup right. argument like right. while this dude is like the headliner is right. on stage right. and we're and the the people next to us is like 
are you are you guys really gonna do this right here right. And they're just fucking like yelling at each other right. the girl's like crying it's oh my <laughs> god you could be doing it anywhere else so don't break up right here yeah while someone's talking yeah that's crazy yeah so when you're playing like these solo acoustic shows are you even putting together a set list or are you kind of just like riding it free and just kind of letting the letting the set kind of flow however you're feeling no i i definitely plan a set just like just like a like i would with a band uh just i just want to be conscious of things like tempo and key and like um a lot of the songs i sang so softly on the record and i want to like project more uh when i play live so i got to you know i kind of like sat down with the songs again after the record was done and pick new keys for all of them that would you know, so I wouldn't have to just sing very softly. Um, so I started using a capo, which I'd never done. So now I have all kinds of different settings and stuff. So I really want to make sure so that the so that the set flows well. For sure, I have it picked out. And also, I don't want to just be playing the record uh, with the sequence that uh, that's on the record. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. Are you ever just screwing around and, and when you're playing a song? trying something different in the song since there's no one else to, p- to play with and i you don't try have not to. to i have i try not to because i always screw it up like <laughs> i try to shut off that part of my brain that tells me to do stuff because the because you're right because you no one else is there you can you can That's make another part longer right? you can change the lyric but anytime it like i i try to just like stay focused and stay like present in the song because it's hard for me it's just hard for me to do that in general. Like a lot of times, if I'm playing a song really well, I'll kind of, it's almost like an out of body thing where I feel like I'm just watching myself doing it. And if I don't uh, be, if I, I need to stay conscious of that so I don't just start screwing up. I can't watch myself play the song. I need to stay alert. Yeah, to man. <laughs> no, I feel that. Um, I don't, I don't play out as much as I used to, but I just, there's just these moments sometimes where you're just like, I'm really doing it well right now, right. but then you're like, "Oh, I should probably pay attention to what I'm doing right. instead of like complimenting right. how well I'm doing." Right. Now. Right. And it's, comedy was a lot like that. Whenever it would go well, I felt like I was just watching myself doing it, and it was like, who I was just listening to myself say these words as opposed to being really present and saying them. And it's it's a cool feeling. Because you kind of, I mean, it feels kind of powerful to me too. Because like you're like, wow, I'm I'm doing such a great job that I can just hang <laughs> back and watch myself. But really, I feel like if you're at that point, you're just about to screw up because you're not staying on top of it. Yeah, that's that's like, to me, that's like the most raw, brave thing you can do is just step up there doing like the open, like the stand up right. comedy. Have you done it? I have not, but just like. To be up there with just a microphone and just yeah. trusting in your personality or your right. storytelling abilities right. with no no music behind it. Yeah, nothing, you know? just silence. You're just up there for the, for their entertainment right. is just uh, like pretty mind-bending to me. I've like always, I don't know, I feel like I'm one of those people that's like, I think I'm funny a little bit. You know, I, I go on a rant here right, and there that right. I'm like, that's a good bit. Should do that. You should, should try it. That. You should Seriously. do that sometime. But I know that there's like tons of other people that feel. But that that's okay. The that same doesn't way. mean just because everyone else feels that way doesn't mean you shouldn't. Yeah. Like I fully recommend it. Like it was. I did it for two years and I did it a lot. And the only reason I stopped doing it was because I I was like I could either do this as a hobby or I could just like kill myself doing it, which I didn't. I feel too old to be doing that. Like I'm. 
if I was like early twenties or something, I would, you know, because I do think you need to go out every night and do right. it to stay good. Um, and I just didn't want to keep going out every night to do it. But I, I feel like it helped me. It just like helped me so much, even in, in just d- my day to day life and interactions with strangers or just other people. Just how I kind of felt about like being in public and speaking in public, and yeah, now going back to like, like I feel much more relaxed on stage by myself. Like, I don't think it changed a lot, like, of how I played with the thermals or how I played with the band. But as far as getting up on stage by myself, I kind of feel, like, so much more relaxed because yeah. it's, like, what could go wrong? Like, do, doing stand-up, so, like, I recommend it, but it's also really humiliating to do it. So after you've done it, you're like, <laughs> yeah, there's no way this is going to be as bad as, you know, whatever, some some hellish stand-up show. I did. Yeah, stepping up there with the guitar is, like, no problem right. after that. Right, yeah, <laughs> After totally. having to entertain somebody with your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also with music, you know, with comedy there's this demand from the audience that you they're looking for something very specific like you have to make them laugh that's just one reaction whereas like you get up and play a song and people could feel any way about it or they could feel no way about it they're probably still going to clap at the end of the song but either way they're probably going to sit there and listen to it and it's not like they're demanding that you supply them with like a, a certain response yeah absolutely and then there's also that whole thing with music where you know, people want to hear the same songs. Right, right. Know, every night where, right. you know, with the comedy thing, it's like, yeah, I heard you do right. that bit already. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> that's, it wasn't funny, funny right. as funny the second time. Oh, right, yeah. Great bit, yeah. <laughs> but I've heard it. <laughs> and think of just, and it's embarrassing to just do those bits over and over again, especially when you're at open mics or tiny shows where it's the same eight people you see every night. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I would also imagine that, part of not wanting to kind of grind out that sort of lifestyle later in your life is because you you kind of did that with the music thing too yeah yeah exactly you know, like, and i have that all in the bank and i'm able to use that and also i just love music in a way where i don't uh i don't have to make myself do it I, it's just something i want to do yeah naturally it's just part of your life naturally yeah. and and almost like just a part of your being rather than like almost an even a need to do it right although i do miss doing stand-up because it's so fun and when it goes well it it's incredibly uh it's uh it's it's so different than playing music the feeling you get and a lot of it is that it's just you up there alone with the microphone and if you stop talking and you're not funny there's just dead silence and if you can get comfortable with that and if you can make if you can really get laughs from people it's just such an amazing feeling yeah there's nothing like yeah. having a room around you even when it's just oh, yeah. your friends and you're oh, making right. them laugh it's like amazing it's yeah, the yeah, best totally. feeling yeah it's such a rush was there any uh hesitation to step into the stand up world just because you were a musician and kind of like playing like i don't know whenever i thought about the stand-up thing even just like fucking around to go out to an open mic and do something like that i'm like i don't know because i'm also going to these music open mics and like can i be the serious guy with the guitar and then tomorrow night what if that person sees me be like the funny guy with the microphone right is that okay to cross those worlds no i felt exactly and i was like oh but i'm also known as like a musician like (laughs) and that stopped me from doing it for a couple years i had wanted to do it much earlier than i did and those exact feelings stopped me and i'm so glad eventually i just shut those up 
Um, and I don't even know. I'm not sure why I did. I think eventually I just was like, I because I wanted I wanted to do stand up for so long. But yeah, I was like, oh, but I'm the singer from the Thermals. Now I'm gonna get up at an open mic and, and just what am I? And people are gonna think I'm crazy. And people did. And people thought I was stupid. Or people just thought, you know, like why? Like people would come up and be like, why are you doing this? And I'd be like, I like to do this. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can be the stupid, uh, you know, be a open mic comedian one night and go play a huge thermal show the next night and i loved it yeah there was no reason yeah and some nights i did it in the same you know at bridgetown or stuff there was some nights where i would do stand up and then go play a thermal show later that same night and i loved it yeah ice cube became a actor you can become a right. stand up comedian right right there's so many people yeah <laughs> who have done everything yeah there's no reason uh, to stop yourself um, as far as this, this only water record that you just put out, was it, I know that you, you played on the instruments on it, right? Right. And you recorded it at the, at Destination Universe, yes. which is the studio that you're working out of now. Right. Right. So that's Victor Nash's studio that I, yeah, produced bands at. Um, was it important for you to kind of go back to the roots of like how you made that first Thermals record of like you recording all of the music and all the instruments on it yeah absolutely but i wanted it to be even simpler like the drums are almost remedial on on only water and it's very intentional like there's no fills there's hardly there's hardly anything you know the whole point of the record was how like underplayed and underproduced it could actually be like just what was the minimal everything it was just in, in an effort to be effortless just like how much you know how much simpler could the song be how much how much simpler could the lyrics be could the solos be drums and bass just su- everything kind of supporting the song but nothing uh trying to show off or stand out in any major way yeah what's uh what's attractive to you about like these short two to three minute songs that you've seem to have oh i just love made short a career songs, after. <laughs> anything if i'm like demoing a song and i see that it's like like three minutes i'll be like oh that's we need to we need to edit that that's it's getting too long (laughs) i don't know there's something i feel like uh especially these days you can just listen actually at any time if if you really love a song and it's short you can just listen to it again i don't see any reason like when a song is like at a four minute mark or like at a five minute mark to me there's just something that probably needs to go and when i'm working with bands too i'm always this goes for anything bands trying to like add a ton of synths or just like uh you know a ton of overdubs i'm just always trying to get songs to be shorter and lighter and less just uh less encumbered with extra anything extra time or uh instruments or anything yeah when when do you start producing other people's records uh maybe like two and a half or three years ago i just had i that was something i had not planned on doing at all and then like three bands asked me all at the same time and i said well and it was a you know the thermals hadn't broken up but we were not that busy at that moment and i was like well i have a thing too where i, I don't say no very often you know I, if someone you know i hadn't planned on producing but if bands want me to produce their records they're like sure i'll I'll try (laughs) to do this done this before (laughs) yeah yeah i have experience and it went really like they all it just went really well really quickly um and there were some records where i really worked with the artists or the band and like writing and like doing a lot of prep and stuff 
Um, and then some where we would just get a band in the studio for like two or three days and knock out a record just super quickly, which is how we always used to do it anyway. Like it was never like you have weeks or a month in the studio. You just rehearse your songs and go in for a couple nights and get it done. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously not going to jump in to producing somebody's record that you don't give a shit about their music. Right, right. So like what what would you say is something that like draws you into a band or is there like certain characteristics of a band that that you're looking for is it is it always kind of different uh not something that i'm i mean i'm not looking for something stylistically i like i would try any kind of style as long as the people were cool like usually i'm just looking for bands that are motivated and excited to make a record and so far everyone i've met has that i mean there's not there's not many bands that are like they're Only, like, dude, yeah. we're going to make a record with stand-up comedian Hush Harris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah, so a lot of the bands that have come to me have been Thermals fans. A lot of times it's like three dudes. You know, it's like power trios or bands that are like the Thermals or were influenced by the Thermals in some way. It's mostly, yeah, three or four-piece rock bands. Um, yeah, or else, because else, why else would they be coming to me? Yeah. Is it... Uh does that kind of fuel your creative fire too? Like having these bands come in and and working with them, and is it exciting to you because there were that like there were people along the way that helped you progress in in your career? Yeah, and I w- I always wish that I had had more. Uh, I don't know. We were so bad. Thermals were like horrible at taking advice from anyone. So I guess we did have people, but we were just bad at listening i think i think i I wish if i could go back i would listen more to like anyone but also you kind of it's nice to not take anyone's advice then you you know if you succeed or fail you have only yourself you know it's your world that you're creating for yourself and you know you can take the blame or you can uh uh i don't know i uh I, i i i try not to step on bands uh too much like i offer my opinions I'm usually not trying. I'm there to help them, uh, to help like facilitate the record getting made, like not to get in their way with too many ideas. Like really, it's just to make sure that we can get like the best performances from the band as quickly as possible. Because um, I always tell bands, I'm not trying to take their money. I'm trying to like make sure that they spend their money just wisely and just like the quicker you get your record done, the cheaper the cheaper it's going to be. Because studio time, you know, everything is expensive. And there's little money to be made back. So you're trying to make, you know, we're making records on small budgets, which is a good thing. Yeah. And you're just kind of being that extra set of ears so that they can hopefully right. trust and, right. and so that they can get out of their own way right. and, and hear somebody else's opinion. And again, I'm always trying to just get bands to do less, less, like not adding a ton of overdubs is not a lot of times people have the idea that they want their song to be bigger and wider and a lot of times that means removing things not adding like a bunch of noise um although the thermals would have always added a bunch of <laughs> well you didn't listen to anybody <laughs> no, right? exactly, exactly. Yourself, i wish i would have been there <laughs> i wish i would have been there to tell myself <laughs> so it's just all about like trying to serve the song and, and yeah absolutely and try to get as much raw energy captured in the tracks right which is what was great about autonomics because like the tracks that we got like 
Uh, we overdubbed like a little guitar, but mostly what you're going to hear on their record is just like the four of them playing and just like everything is live and then Dan goes in and sings and maybe there's like a little bit of backing vocals. But overall, like it's going to be a very live record and the performances are just super, super good. Hell yeah. Super, super stoked. To super stoked. Yeah. That. Like I remember talking to them about they're like, we're about to go into the studio. Yeah, and yeah. I've, I don't know. That's. I've told them this, like I've definitely, I spin as far as local artists in Portland, I, I spin autonomics more than anyone uh-huh, just because uh-huh. those songs are so catchy yeah. and they're saying, and they are like that party music, you know, yeah, they're, the, they're yeah. the thing I want to listen to, like to get me going for work or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just remember how geek they were like talking to like, we're going in the studio with Hutch. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, those guys are great. That's very cool, man. And it's funny cause it's like even going back through the thermals catalog, like I can hear how, how that has influenced their music. Like right. on previous records, like even with simple things like guitar tones, it's like, Oh, that, that sounds like that record. Right. <laughs> Which is cool. And people tell me that, but I, I almost <laughs> never hear it. And that's probably a good thing. They'll <laughs> say like, don't you think this is a song? It's just a rip off of one of your songs. I'll be, I don't hear it at all, but that's cool. If you think so, <laughs> or if that's the truth. Um, can you tell me about your decision to not put only water like on on the major streaming platforms? I think it will be eventually. I think so. What was nice about self-releasing is that uh, I mean, the main thing was I didn't want to tour. So I didn't want to get involved in a situation where uh, there was pressure to tour or any kind like self-releasing meant that I can just like casually release it on any platform whenever I want to. For sure. And I'm trying to recoup the money. I just paid out of pocket to make this record. So my first uh, priority, like I love streaming stuff. I use Spotify all the time. But my priority is to sell copies and try to make, just make the budget, you know, just to at least break even. Um, So I figured I'll I'll put it on Bandcamp uh, uh, first and I'll, you know, I'll sell it digitally a couple people started requesting CDs. And I was like, really? Yeah, I you're doing anyone... like these homemade CDs Yeah, now, right? which is going like really, really well, but it's shocking to me because I thought, okay, I'll make like 50 CDs and then, cause maybe, but I'll probably, that's all I'll need to make and I'll, I'll have them sitting, I'll bring them on tour and stuff when I finally tour because um, only a couple people had asked. Uh, but I kind of made them nice and I like, you know, I painted and like stamped them and stuff and signed them. Like each individual yeah, one. That's yeah, yeah. And so then they all sold out in one day. I was like, well, this is good yeah that's so good. then i made another batch and i just released that yesterday morning and now those are almost gone so i guess i'll just keep making those for a while and i'm gonna do cassettes and lps and then eventually it will be on platform like streaming for sure but as long as i'm like selling physical copies this quickly i'm not in any rush to yeah. get it streaming but not necessarily like a fuck you to the no no not at all to the not streaming at all. platforms it's just like not a necessity and you're obviously like you're not worried about touring on this record right which means i would assume that you're like you want to recruit recoup the money but you're not banking on like this record doing no oh, no no absolutely not no no and i'm not even i was never i mean now i'm a i will be recouped soon because i didn't spend too much yeah but it was never the like i'm still realistic i don't ever expect to make money off music like it's nice when you can but it, you shouldn't expect it um yeah, you, ex- you can't expect it. <laughs> do you have uh, 
like any big takeaways at at this point in your in your career of moving forward like that like something that's really stuck out to you that's been super important to your to your mental of of continuing down this road um yeah i think i mean me i almost only f- i just focus on song writing it's almost all like I'm, I'm always trying to get better as a player like a little bit i've definitely gotten a lot better as a singer and i still try very hard to get better as a singer i'm probably as good as i'll ever be on, on guitar I, i'm never going to be a virtuoso but where i am is, is fine with me um so i've just for a long time i've just been focused on just songs just focus on songs and how can a song be better and how can a song be simpler how can a song uh say you know say what i want it to say very clearly how can i say something you know kind of uh you know how can i keep it mysterious but kind of still get the point across so usually yeah that's when i think about music and when i'm home like working on stuff i'm just thinking about songs uh and it's been that way for a while and i like it that way that's killer man i appreciate the fuck out of your your time Dude, and hanging you. out Thanks, and, and just like talking with me it's always fun to get to hear where the music comes comes from and and whatnot and i'm super excited to see you play some of these solo acoustic shows cool and i'll plug it up top too but february 9th here at the yeah the library here it's in portland that's where we're at we're yeah. recording this it, right in this, this is space. my first time seeing it and it's awesome yeah, yeah this is going to be really cool um i definitely had difficulty picking out tunes like for like the three oh, songs cool. i wanted oh, to great. use there's so many that i i dig and and the short length of the record just kind of makes me want to listen to it on repeat right and see I, there I you do, go yeah and i do and it just kind of it's just like oh we're at the top again right right <laughs> um like any anything possible is definitely one of my favorite oh, tracks cool, on the record cool, i just thought cool. like the message of the patience and the perseverance to like see something through or just like right. letting things happen and just giving them time is yeah is a, a very important message. Yeah, I know. And, and I need tough to take to that advice too. Oh, my, yeah, you me know? too. Just because I said it doesn't mean I can, yeah, like practice it. It's so hard. I don't think patience like ever becomes easy, an easy thing, really. Right. I think it's like this this thing that you have to continue to uh, to learn. <laughs> right. I know. That's the hardest thing about getting old is that you think like once you learn something, you're like, well, that's it. Now I know that. But no, you have to keep learning the same things over and over. Even Tom Petty said the waiting is the hardest part, right? <laughs> um cool man well i will put all the links in the episode notes so people can find what you're doing and uh we're gonna play it out with one of my other favorite tracks off the record which is uh no river left great and uh we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is uh it's a program it's a program he nailed it he needs no instructions hutch harris on the podcast thanks so much man live here from the library well not live but we recorded it here and uh that's it that's the jelly jams and uh we're playing it out with no river left from the only water ep or full length rather and uh that's on Bandcamp and soon to be in other places yep maybe get yourself a homemade cd yeah check it out available And uh, that's it, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side, Portland. Some of us trace a path. Some of us.
It's a program.